God as he comes. I don't know why I'm tearing up already. <laughs> morning church, I greet you this morning in that powerful, mighty name of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Massive thank you to this opportunity this morning to come and preach. I stand here both humbled and I stand here also with great honor behind this pulpit this morning. When I think of your pastor, I think of Apollos in Acts 18. He says that he was an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, who had been instructed in the way of the Lord, fervent in spirit, speaking and teaching the word and the things of God accurately. 1 Kings 10.8 says, how happy your people must be. What a privilege for your officials to stand here day after day listening to your wisdom. Pastor Bevan, when it comes to the Word of God, is a person that I recommend without reservation and without any hesitation. I listen to a ton of preachers and teachers of the Word of God, and it's still my strong opinion that this man... This man hears from God. One preacher said, I need someone who hears from God when I get voicemail. And I think many people, including myself, have received direction and counsel and a refilling of encouragement and hope directly linked to this man and his ministry. And so today, I want to honor you for that. Thank you, sir. Can we give him a hand this morning? Amen. I bring greetings from my home church, uh, Liberty Church. We're out in Discovery. Uh, Pastors Ash and Taryn Augustine, they send their love and their greetings. And I'm not alone here this morning. The Bible tells us that if two lie down together, they will keep warm. Okay? How can one keep warm alone? And I thank God that I don't have to worry about getting cold ever again. This is my beautiful wife here in the front, Mrs. Shazi Amoy. Can you just stand up quickly, please, love? Just give the church away. Amen. Thank you. I'm going to bring up a little bit later just to come and pray with us. And my kids are somewhere on the property growing and stretching the faith of a Sunday school teacher. God bless their little hearts. What I have to share with you today is really an abbreviated version of the download that I've been receiving. And I'm going to do my best to keep it under two hours, but no promises. <laughs> Cool, let's kick things off this morning. Just by show of hands this morning, who likes to travel? Anyone like to travel? Amen, awesome stuff. My wife and I too, we also like to travel. And by God's grace, locally speaking, we've traveled quite a bit in South Africa. And after two years ago, sorry, about two years back, I'm speaking to a colleague of mine and he's from Wales. And he tells me, Where's I bet you've never been to the Kruger Park before. And you know what? He was right. Here, a foreigner now staying in South Africa has been multiple times to the Kruger Park, which is considered a national treasure of ours. And us staying here in SA haven't been there not once. And so as you can imagine, our next trip was down to the Kruger. We then decided to go down. And on day two of our trip, we headed into the park. And now for those of you who don't know, at your main gates, there are these huge signboards with these sightings. And basically, there's this large map and visitors that had gone earlier or the day before when they had spotted certain animals 
when they come back through that gate, they can go and plot on that map exactly where they saw that particular animal. And the idea behind it is that for those that would follow or would come after them can go to that same location and possibly have a site too. The book of Acts is that for me. It's this detailed map. And if you read carefully, you can pinpoint moments in time that had led to sightings of God. And if you retrace those steps and follow certain landmarks, you too can have your own sightings of God. And sandwiched in the bundle of the book of Acts, we come across this passage of scripture that if we don't slow down to ponder and probe exactly what went on there, we begin to miss something beautiful. If you have your Bibles here with you this morning, I'm going to ask that you turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 18. And we're going to read from verses 1 right down to verses 8. Acts chapter 18 from verses 1 to verses 8. The Bible says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Verse 3, So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 6, but when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word today. Now the question for you this morning, are there any movie fans here this morning? Any movie fans? Hey? Good stuff. I'm glad that you are open and honest. And, and, and I would ask, what's your favorite movie? And, and your past and I, we have a bit of conflict when it comes to movies. Our tastes are very different. Like Pastor Bevan likes Titanic. Um, and, and I'm more of an action guy. And again, you can just scream this answer out to me. Does anyone know here this morning, when was the first movie ever made? Anyone, shout an idea. Take a wild guess. 1928. No. The first movie was made in 1878. A movie called The Horse in Motion. And back in those days, our kids won't believe if we told them. But how movies were made back then was that various people would begin experimenting with photos and pictures and, and blending them together to give this illusion of a motion picture. And my earliest memory of a movie was The Wizard of Oz. I don't know, does anyone remember that movie, The Wizard of Oz? This movie was made back in 1939 and at the time it was MGM's most expensive production at that time and was considered a huge success. It even won, uh, was nominated for six Academy Awards including that of Best Picture. And according to the US Library of Congress, it is the most seen film in movie history. And I know my message title gives it away this morning, but let's just say Pastor Bevan did not need for me to send him my title ahead of today. And I had to ask you this morning, what was the line that stuck out for you the most? You would undoubtedly repeat the words of young Dorothy saying, there's no place like home. And I'm not going to go into too much detail of the movie, but what I do want to do is just draw a couple of things out of there and then tie it all together. And in Kansas, Dorothy and her family, they live on a farm in the middle of nowhere. And even though her family and her friends are caring and loving, 
Dorothy is clearly bored there. Her and her little dog Toto are constantly getting into trouble. And the song that she sings somewhere over the rainbow shows her desire of escape. The desire to go somewhere else better. The dream of a better life somewhere that is far away from home. And the technical aspects of this film keeps the divide between Kansas and Oz very clear. Color really is the, the, the key aspect of this film. And Kansas is shot in black and white to emphasize the dull, lifeless landscape and, and let the audience truly see why it is that Dorothy wants to get out so badly. And then we see Oz, this bright, vibrant world that is shot in color which was still very uncommon at that time. And the audience then can also gain the same impact that Dorothy does as she opens the door to this new world. And the colors here are, are to create the world of Oz, to give this hyper effect and, and truly convey that Oz is a world of fantasy. It's a world completely different from that of Kansas. And when Dorothy enters the world of Oz, as, as the audience also waits with anticipation, as she opens this door into this new world, leaving all of her problems behind in Kansas. And even though this is a brand new world for Dorothy, she still encounters constant reminders of home. This film was released in the era of the Great Depression and, and Dorothy is a character that many people could relate with at that time because this notion of escaping to, to a far away world and leaving all the problems behind would be incredibly appealing to an audience at that time. But in reality, like Dorothy in her heart of hearts knows that there's no place like home. And even if you don't have red shoes like your pastor this morning, I want you to click your heels three times and say with me, there's no place like home. The Bible says in Psalm 90 verse 1, Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. Like young Dorothy, we may think that life is better on the other side of the cross. Things are easier, less stressful. More fun, not so restrictive. We, we can do as we please, but in reality, we're lying to ourselves. Because truth be told, whether you want to admit it or not, you and I have been destined to walk with God. And God has never been okay with distance. Adam was okay to live without God, but God was not okay to live without Adam. And understand that it is illogical that God would sacrifice His own son just to get close to you and I. But passion had got in His way. And because of that sacrifice, you and I have unrestricted access to God's presence. And understand that His omnipresence is everywhere. It's in the bars, it's in the nightclubs, it's on the street corners. But, but it's His manifest presence that we must become hungry for. Those undeniable moments that we can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is here. I was born in Flierov and, and right next door to where we stayed was a mosque. And when it was time for Maghrib, I could hear it the loudest and it was crystal clear. And the reason it was clear and the reason it was loudest because I was so close. I could hear everything. In our main passage, I'm going to carefully take the liberty and apply a little holy imagination to the text. Something your pastor taught me a couple of years ago. And in verse 7, the Bible tells of a certain man named Justice. One who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Samuel Ungerleider, I hope I'm not butchering his name, but he was the professor of Judaic studies and professor of religious studies at Brown University. And concerning the synagogue, he said that everybody realized that this was the most sacred place on earth. The one place on earth where somehow heaven and earth meet, where somehow there's a telephone connection 
and perhaps we would say between heaven and earth where the earth rises up and heaven somehow descends just enough that they touch and now the location of this house is key understand that its purpose was to house out of town worshippers when they came to the temple and in the King James Version it says that this house was joined hard to the synagogue and that word joined hard simply means that the synagogue and this man's house shared a common wall simply meant that the synagogue was on one side of the wall and Justice's house was on the other side of the wall imagine with me this morning that Justice after seeing to the travelers would begin cleaning up the tables mopping up the floors doing the dishes and then suddenly hearing a sound of worship and now remember we're in the book of Acts and, and God is moving mightily and, and I don't know if you've ever done this when you were a child but when you wanted to hear what was going on in the next room you would take a cup yeah. hey, put your ear and your, and, and, against the wall like this and, and you would listen on in and I imagine justice eavesdropping in on a move of God putting his ear to the wall I imagine him having these amazing glorious encounters with God day after day I imagine he had this his favorite little chair or bench and, and when travelers had left his, his face would suddenly light up he'd go and lock the door close the curtains and, and he'd just become radiant and expected and he'd move this bench or this stool right next door to the wall and listen and, and lean on in trying to get as close as possible with eager expectation on what would happen next time I'm sure that this was the best part of his day and remember justice is a proselyte and, and so when it came to temple worship how close he could get onto the action was, was restricted and limited and so he's here in this house desperately wanting to get close to God and, and that must have been the longing of his heart God I want to get close to you it reminds me of Mark 6.33 but, but many people recognized them and saw them leaving and, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore to get there ahead of them Reminds me of the days of Brownsville Revival. People would come out of the evening service at 2 a.m. in the morning and immediately began queuing in the parking lot that would begin at 6 p.m. If you knew Jesus was coming to a certain place, would you go ahead to meet him? If you knew Jesus was coming, what would you do to prepare for his arrival and for your visitation? What if you knew that today service or next week's church service God would break into the building and unleash a wave of his presence what if you and I could be one encounter or this one service away from the encounter of a lifetime one service away from being completely saturated and drenched in his presence the woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5 28 said if I may just touch but his clothes she was essentially saying if I can just get close if I can just get into that vicinity, if I can just get into close proximity with him, I know I'll be able to leave with something. Yeah, and friend, I do not want us ever to miss a move from A few years ago, the Washington Post did an experiment. And they took this world-renowned violinist who easily nets about $90,000 per concert. And dropped him in the middle of the metro station in Washington, D.C. And that morning he played his violin for passers-by during rush hour traffic and only netted about $14. Thousands of people were in the presence of greatness. The same greatness many of them would pay hundreds of dollars to see. But in their haste and rush of the day, they missed an opportunity to have a front row seat in the presence of the master violinist. Friends, let us not be so busy, so rushed, so self-absorbed that, 
that we live in constant stress with, with hurried lives and end up missing the presence of God. Throughout scripture we see that, that it's God's desire to dwell among his people. Isaiah 52 says, why was no one there when I came? Why was there no one to answer when I called? Luke 19.44, you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Luke 1.68, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Zechariah 10.3, for the Lord of hosts will visit his flock. Job said, oh, that I knew where I might find him. It's so important that we are present because we never know the day of our encounter. It's important to be there when God shows up. In Acts chapter 2, we see that they were all together in one place. They were there when God showed up. We used to attend this church, consequently called Acts Christian Church. And they had three services on a Sunday morning. My wife will tell you, every service, God showed up in a special way. And they were out in Midrand, and we would go to the middle service. And at the end of that service, I'd want to send my family to Mall of Africa, just so that I could stay that next service and linger around a little bit longer more in His presence. Since my younger days in the Lord, I've been on the pursuit of His manifest presence. My heart longs and yearns for revival. It's, it's the way I've been wired. And for a long while, we searched for a church that was hungry and desperate for Him. And when we came to this church, I would say to myself that if God were to break through in the service and let loose revival, that it would be here. And I would want to be in that service. And at that time, God was moving mightily. And in the last three months, a thousand people had joined that church. Psalm 122 verse 1 said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 136, I long for the Lord more than the sentries long for the dawn. Psalm 27 verse 4, I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. On the beauty of the Lord and seeking Him in His temple. Samuel would get up in the morning and, and open up the doors of the tabernacle. Imagine such a generation that at the heart of Samuel that, that you were there, you were on standby, you were ready knowing that at any moment God could show up and you would be right there. Psalm 84 verse 10 says, Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell at the tents of the wicked. We had a visiting preacher not so long ago and he said, no longer can I find comfort in a place where he is not. C.S. Lewis in his book called Weight of Glory wrote, What would it be to taste at the fountainhead, that stream of which even these lower reaches prove so intoxicating? We had found ourselves amongst hungry people. Pastor Bevan doesn't believe me, but Bo Johnson, a good friend of ours, natural you get hungry by not eating. But in the kingdom of God, you get hungry by eating. Yes. It's that once you get a taste of God, you will be ruined for anything less and nothing else will ever satisfy. You just got to have more. He said that our testimony of yesterday is good, but it's no excuse not to be hungry for more today. And understand that when you get hungry, He gets close. And you and I are in charge of how much of God we experience. You can be comfortable by sitting on the sidelines and getting a sprinkle of Him every now and then, or you can make the decision to dive into His presence and be completely drenched. Spirit asked us to help ignite the Hebrides revival once said, if you ever catch Him, never, never let Him go. And if in the past God 
appeared in his glory to a grumbling, ungrateful people, then why wouldn't he appear today to a people that is seeking him with all their hearts? Find God, and once you have him purpose and determine in your heart that for the rest of your life you will be in pursuit of his glory because nothing can equal an encounter with the manifest presence of God. Amen. Friend, I want for you and for I to have an encounter with God that we can't get over. Proverbs 7.15 says, So I came out to meet you, diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. Jeremiah 29.13 says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. In 2020, not long after the pandemic broke out, Malachi, my elder son, would sleep next to me, and when he would wake up in the morning, the first thing he says is, Daddy, where are you? And I replied, I'm here, my boy. And he responded, I want you. What's the first thing, friend, do you want in the morning when you get up? Is it your phone? Is it the TV? Is it food? Is it CrossFit? <laughs> Shouldn't the first thing be, Daddy, I want you. Friend, what if we are inches away from the encounter of a lifetime? May God find us ready for a move like no other because I desire for me I desire for you that we would have an encounter with God that we would not have language enough to describe Tom, a restless remnant with a chronic unending appetite for his presence where we can say we are incurably desperate for him and friend this morning if you're looking for a sign that you need to spend more time with God then this is it Tenny concerning worship wrote this if it doesn't cost you anything, then it's someone else's brokenness. Worship that costs you nothing is momentary, but worship that costs you goes with you. The secret may be that the fragrance that drew his presence didn't come from you. Enjoying the fragrance of someone else's brokenness. Perhaps that is why you have nothing to carry home with you once you leave a service. If you're just enjoying the fragrance of others, you may never know whose brokenness brings fragrance in the room. I can tell you this, God's manifest presence will go home with the one whose brokenness summoned him. Too many Christians float throughout life without any serious commitment to God and his kingdom. They accept Christ to get their ticket to heaven and simply hitchhike their way through the rest of their earthly existence. They are content to ride on the prayers, praise and worship of others without ever seeking God for themselves. And oddly enough, they are often the first to complain or question why God presence lifted so fast that once the real worshippers left the meeting the worshippers who brought God to the party left and God went home with them and you see there's a difference between being a 911 believer Lord it's an emergency I need you to being a Psalm 91 verse 1 believer he who dwells in the secret place Psalm 26 verse of your sanctuary Lord the place where your glorious presence dwells Psalm 84 verse 1 says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With, with my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and, and a swallow builds a nest and raises a young at a place near your altar. O Lord of heaven's armies, my King and my God, what joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. 1 Samuel 3.21, The Lord continued to peer at Shiloh and gave messages to Samuel there at the tabernacle. Because Samuel stayed, God stayed. Back to our text this morning. Justice is described as one who worshipped God. 
And beyond that, we do not know anything more about him. But that's more than enough. What a wonderful thing to be said about you and I that they worship God. I'm not interested in me called a preacher. I'm not interested in me called a CEO. But what a privilege if they could describe me with those few words that they worship God. Hey, imagine that your name in, in the circles of outsiders and they say, I remember Wesley. I remember Bevan. Yeah, that was someone who worshiped God. Friend, how do you describe yourself? If you just had a few words or a short sentence to sum up what people think you are like, what would they say? How would you want to be remembered? And often uh, inscripted onto a gravestone, it, it indicates what other people thought about that person's life. It's, it's an act of, of kind of summing up the way that that person lived. And what would yours say? Would, would it focus on relationships? Loving husband, devoted father, caring and generous mother, much-loved sister? Would it focus on, on your chosen career? Successful entrepreneur, business leader, renowned entertainer, a discoverer of the cancer cure? And understand that none of these things are bad to be remembered by. But are they really the best possible thing to have a summary of one's life? And in Acts 18, we get a glimpse of a man named Justice. And in the and the totality of his life story. And Luke, the author of Acts, who is very descriptive in his writings, surely could have reported much more about this man named Justice. He could have painted a much greater picture. Did he have a family? How did he make his living? Uh, 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 when did he come to the faith? Could have given more, more details concerning his hospitality around uh, what he provided for outside travelers and for Paul. He doesn't make any mention of Silas and Timothy. Were they in the picture? Did he offer a bed and breakfast? Was an evening meal thrown in? But, but instead we are told that this one thing, this single standout fact that Luke feels worth reporting is that this man worshipped God. This is what he marked him out. This was the fact that was worth reporting. And you see, the essence of worship is this, is that we find God and God finds a worshiper. And if you are a worshiper, God will track you down. Paul Washer said that the mark of a man of God is God upon a man. And you and I have this desperate need to be marked of God. Malachi would wake up in the middle of the night and say, Daddy, I need you. And I'll get up and bring him close to me and I'll hold him. Friend, what it is, what do you need in the middle of your night seasons? Bo Johnson, his, his wife passed away a few weeks ago. And after his wife's passing, he said these words. He said, I don't need explanations. I just need him. I just need his presence. Psalm 27 verse 5. day of trial, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. I remember reading about Brother Yoon in a book called The Heavenly Man. And he would tell how police would beat him. And he wouldn't feel a thing because of the presence of God that was so thick and tangible upon him. Michael Kulianos tells of a time when he was at Heathrow Airport. And at that time, spiritually speaking, he was in a bad place. He was frustrated and complaining with God. And, and God responded, I haven't moved, you know what to do. And in that moment, he got quiet before the Lord. And Heathrow Airport became like heaven on earth for him. Listening to an interview with Jean Bailey and the great-granddaughter of Smith Wigglesworth, she tells of her granny, a story of a granny, Wigglesworth daughter, that, that after an evening of Bible study at the church with her dad, would walk the long way home because the presence of God was so strong that she just wanted to spend a little bit more time with him. 
It was a moment where theology became therapy for her. It was in those moments where she'd open up her Bible and the breath of God would hit her like a ton of bricks. It's that once you get a taste of God, you will be ruined for anything less and nothing else would satisfy. Growing up as a kid, there were certain foods that I would not eat. And my mom would always say, son, you don't know what you're missing. For years, I deprived myself of a taste that would eventually end up changing my life. And once it took a bite, I was hooked. And then I realized, after all these years, this is what I was missing out on. Years ago, one Good Friday service, an evangelist of the ministry we were serving at had just walked in. And as he came closer to me, I noticed an oily stain on his shirt. And I immediately knew this guy sampled the pickle fish that was meant for that lunch. <laughs> just by looking at his stain, I could tell that this guy was in the pots that morning. Just by looking at him, I could see evidence of where he had been. And let me be blunt this morning. If you and I were on trial for being Christians, would there be enough evidence to convict us? In the book called The Smith Wigglesworth Prophecy and the Greatest Revival of All Time, I see my wife's reading it now. There's a sermon recorded by David Duplessis and he notes the following. The impact upon my young life was not from the preaching of the gospel, but rather the miracle of the change the lives of illiterate pagans around me. What Christ did for them and what the Holy Spirit did through them deeply impressed me. I knew they had nothing of that. I realized that it was not literacy that changed them, for they had none. I knew that their testimonies were not intellectual, for there was too much evidence of the supernatural. I knew it was divine. For many of these people have been steeped in witchcraft, completely delivered and changed into saints who loved Jesus so much that they would die for him. Late last year in October, around 4 p.m., a car pulls up to my house. From the door to the gate, I can't see who it is, but, but what I could see was in this car, there was a Hindu shrine on the dashboard. When I saw what was on that dashboard, I immediately knew who it was. You see, a friend of mine had ordered something from me, and I knew she was going to pick it up. I just didn't know when. And when she pulled up, the only thing that identified her was her God. I wonder, can people recognize you by the God that you serve? That when people look at you, can they see beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is a child of God? And yet, they were panning for gold when one of them found an unusual stone. Breaking it open, they saw that it had contained gold. And as they worked and worked, they soon discovered an abundance of this precious metal. And with unrestrained delight, they shouted, We found it, we found gold. And before going into town for supplies, they agreed that, that they were not going to tell a soul about their find. And while in town, not one of them breathed a word about their discovery. And when they had returned to camp, a group of men had gathered and were ready to follow them. You found gold, the group said. And they asked, who told you? And they said, no one, your faces showed it. Sure. Come on. Exodus 34, 29 in the Amplified. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he did not know that the skin of his face was shining with a unique radiance because he had been speaking with God. The ISV translation said that the skin of his face was ablaze with light. Acts 4.13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they marveled and took note that these men had been with Jesus. 
Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole taught that we are created in God's image and likeness. And so when people look at our lives, they should be able to see His image in us. In Mark 6.53, when they crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and beached the boat. And as they got out of the boat, people immediately recognized Him. And that's the true mark of a disciple, that when you come on the scene, people are able to recognize Jesus. And you and I, we owe people an encounter with God. Heidi Baker tells of a time when she attended a conference at Catch the Fire Toronto. It's the ministry of John and Carol Arnott. And at the time, there was this glorious outpouring of God's Spirit that really became the catalyst of many revivals that, that would later spread throughout the planet. And it would later be called the Toronto Blessing. And at this conference, Randy Clark is preaching and, and about halfway through his preaching, Heidi Baker suddenly is overwhelmed with this desperation from God that she runs to the altar. Randy stops preaching. He comes over to her, lays his hands on her and asks the question, God wants to know, do you want the nation of Mozambique? And her immediate response was yes. Randy continued to prophesy, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the cripple will walk, the dead will be the poor will hear the good news. Since that moment, the ministry of Heidi Baker and Roland, her husband, they've planted more than 7,000 churches, five Bible schools, four children feeding centers, They've witnessed countless of miracles. The deaf hear, the blind see, the cripple walk. Over 50 people have been raised from the dead and the gospel continues to spread like wildfire. And the birth of that nation's rescue and turnaround can be traced back to one hungry lady in a meeting wanting to be touched and used of God. In 2 Kings 5 verse 8, when Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me and he is a true prophet here in Israel. Amazing portion of scripture. Imagine that when, when someone is sick, you can say, send him to me. Someone among you on the verge of death, uh, then send him to me. Is someone among you hurting? Send him to me. Friend, we must get to that place where we can say, Lord, you've answered so many of my prayers. I now wish to spend the rest of my life answering yours. Yes. Friends, Macedonian calls are still happening. Mantles and assignments are still being released. And today, you may be saying, I'm no Heidi Baker, I'm no Bill Johnson, I'm no Peter and John. Allow me then this morning to give you one last illustration concerning the secret of these guys' ministry. We had this dog some years ago and her name was Lily. Lily was a miniature Labrador, or as I would describe her, a sample dog. <laughs> and during Lily's reign, she was quiet, she was and during that season, we were doing renovations on our home and, and Lily would be in the backyard with the boulders. But I must emphasize, she was doing nothing. <laughs> I would then get home from work and I'd go to the backyard just to check up on the boulders. And when I'd done that, Lily would start going crazy and began to bark at the top of her tiny lungs at the boulders. It's like for some strange reason that when her master came near, an incredible boldness came over and she began to let loose because her master was on the scene. Just being in close proximity to me, boldness, strength, a courage, electricity began to flow through her veins. How much more when we come into close proximity with God? Friend, if you want to do great things for God, then get close. You want to move mountains, then get close. You want to turn cities upside down like Paul the Apostle? 
then get close. Banning Liebscher said our ability to impact the world is directly linked to his presence. I remember a story of Tenny's wife. She would recall that she would be in the line at the supermarket just getting groceries. And out of nowhere, the lady behind her would begin weeping uncontrollably and repenting and confessing her sins because the presence of God was so thick upon his wife. And you and I have been designed to be carriers of his presence. Understand that more happens in a moment with him than a lifetime of binding and loosing. In a training module by Francis Frangapan called In Christ's Image, he writes the following. It's not hard to recognize one who has spent extensive time at the newsstand. Their conversation overflows with the drama of current events. Nor is it difficult to discern one who has come from a sporting event as their face reveals the outcome of that game. Likewise, people can tell when an individual spent extended time seeking the presence of God. An imperturbable calm guards their heart and their countenance is radiant with the morning dew of heaven. Beloved, to seek and find God is everything. You see, friend, being a Christian is not just about going to heaven. Shouldn't a Christian also be someone coming from heaven? Hmm? With goods, with gifts, with power. And if heaven has what we're looking for, then we need to go there to get it. And if I can sum it up this morning, we must have him. Bo Johnson said, I'm not satisfied with studying good theology. I want to see theology come alive before my eyes. Tenny said, we can make people feel better through comforting words. And we can sound wise by delivering the wisdom of men packaged as the wisdom of God. We can even educate people in the word of God without ever introducing them to the reality of his presence. And yes, their lives will be improved through their proximity to the truth, but they deserve more. And friend, the last chapters of the book of Acts are being written as we speak. And you and I can have our names in it. And if you take one thing home with you this morning, then let it be this. Christianity 101 is stay in His presence. I'm going to invite my wife up this morning. And I don't know, babe, if you can maybe just join me and, and play something in the background. But friend, this past month you've been in the series of the book of Acts. And on every page you will see that these guys did not live off yesterday's smoke, but they lived off today's fire. And maybe today you're sitting there and you're in spiritual limbo and, and of the Holy Spirit you with conviction once again and, and let him just fold your world with the fragrance of his presence. Then I'm going to invite you just to surrender all to him today. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I never want to take it for granted that we are all saved. I want to give an opportunity this morning. This Jesus who was taught you in Sunday school is as real as the air that you breathe. And he has a visitation with your name all over it. You may be sitting there this morning and, and you have yet to encounter this God that I'm talking of. Then friend, give me this greatest opportunity to set you up with a match made in heaven. The cry of the New Testament is, so we wish to see Jesus. And maybe that's the cry of your heart this morning. Job 42, 5. But now my eyes have seen him for myself. And perhaps until now you've heard rumors about this loving God. About this gracious Savior. Friend, why don't take that rumor and turn it into reality. And allow him to change your life forever. That is you here this morning. No one looking around. No one walking around. 
I'm going to ask that you just boldly and unashamedly lift your hand. Maybe sitting there this morning wrestling, should you, shouldn't you? Friend, the greatest advice I can give you is that you should. This next 30 seconds could end up changing the next 30 years of your life. I'm not going to lead you in the prayer this morning, but let it be between you and God. A simple surrender to Him. If you feel the emptiness in your heart, if you feel uh, the conviction uh, of what I've been speaking about this morning, simply call out to Him. The Bible says, calls upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. And if you call on Him this morning with, with conviction out of the depths of your heart, then friend, I believe you will be saved. Call number two, these guys in the book of Acts refused to live mediocre lives. They were desperate men and women who refused to press the collective snooze button and do business as usual. These were men and women who were desperate and hungry for His presence and nothing else would do. If you've ever been on a holiday, on a certain day of that trip, you cannot wait to get home. Speak to the soldiers who have been in a war of bloodshed for months on end and away from their family. They, they desire nothing more than to go home. Psalm 90 verse 1, Lord, through all generations, you have been our home. And maybe you're sitting there as, as a believer, you might be saved for years. And maybe like Moses, you have seen God do a lot of things in your lifetime. But friend, let there be one more cry of your heart. God, show me your glory. 